Tonight, as we start to venture into Old Testament survey, Sister Reed, do you remember um, when we looked at this before, do you remember what divisions the, Bible, the Old Testament is broken down into? Like covenants? Uh, like the first five books of the Bible are called what? Torah. Uh-huh. First division is called the Torah. What's another name for the first five books of the Bible? Anything come to mind? Mm -mm. It's also called the law. And there's a third name for the first five books of the Bible. And it's called the Pentateuch. What does that mean? Well, I know what Penta means. There you go. Pentateuch essentially means five books. So Penta, five, took is the person that folds back to the books. So we got the Torah, the Law, and the Pentateuch. The first five books of the Bible. Who are the first five books of the Bible written by? Bible, see if your Bible lets you know. Exactly right. The first five books of the Bible are written by Moses. In these first three words that are what those first five books are called, the first word, Torah, means teaching. So that gives us an idea about those first five books and that there are more than just a set of commands. But in those five books are the teachings of God. It's called the law because of its ceremonial and ritualistic aspects as well, where it talks about the various Levitical laws, the laws in Deuteronomy, the laws in Exodus, the commandments, that kind of thing. We've got the book, they call it the book of the law, which consists of five books. And then, of course, the Pentateuch, saying just five books. The author is Moses. So when you're reading the Bible in the New Testament, and when Jesus refers back to and says, well, you have Moses and the prophets, you should have believed Moses. He's talking to those contemporaries of his time, knowing that Moses is dead. Mm -hmm. So when he says that, what he's referring back to is the books of the law. He's referring back to those five books that in them are what they needed to know in order to be righteous in God's sight. But they didn't know it. 
they were not clear on it, but yet, at the same time, Jesus was letting them know that in those books is what you should know in order to understand me. But what he was pointing out is that they were doing the books of the law on their own, apart from a relationship with God. So at the same time of telling them where the teachings were, he was indicting them for not having a true relationship with God. And so the first five books of the Bible have these names. And then the Bible, or at least the Old Testament as we're looking at it, is divided once again into the second 12 books. You remember what they were called? The second of the the second division, of which twelve books, starts with what book? Deuteronomy. No, not Deuteronomy. Uh, Joshua. Joshua. All right, Joshua. Looking at the book of Joshua, take a look at it for a moment. What does it? What does the book of Joshua do? What does it tell us about? About the land of Canaan. And what else? The conquering of the promised land. All right. And what else? So, so it's telling us about a, of what people? A. The Israelites. Uh huh. And it's talking about their. Their past. Uh huh. There we go. Their past, past, which is their history. Their history. So the next 12 books of the Bible is called history. Now, the third division is five more books. Trace in your Bible to the next or the, the 18th book. Which one is it? Psalms. Okay, it's Psalms. Now Psalms. what comes right before what comes right before uh, Psalms? Job. Job. Now, we got the first five books, then the next twelve. Of what? The next 12. Um, say them out aloud after the first five. Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job. Well, Esther. Esther. Then Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. Starting at Job. Is it called the Song of Solomon? It's either called one or two things. The Songs of Songs or the Songs of Solomon. Okay, because I've never seen it called Song of Songs. I'm like, am I Bible one? <laughs> no, that's exactly right. That's right. And sometimes they say Songs of Solomon because it was written by, by, Solomon. by Solomon. So this next section of books is called Poetry. Now, the Old Testament next section The next five are called major 
profit. It's not just because of the size of those books, but it also the content in which they carry. And so the next five are the major prophets should be starting with Isaiah. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, There you go. Obadiah. Now you get into the 12 minor prophets. Just exactly right. So Sister Reed said, the 12 minor prophets. Now, inside of the books of the law, or the Torah, or the Pentateuch, the first book, Genesis, actually can pass for either a history book or a book of law. It has a little law in it, but it has a whole lot of history about mankind, the Hebrews, and the Israelites. In Genesis. And in the poetry books, Job sounds more like a history book, but yet it is also filled with poetry. So, in understanding the books of the law and the books of poetry, it's going to take some understanding about the flavor of those books, even once you understand what type of literature each is. Then in the minor prophets, well actually in the major prophets, you got Lamentations. When you look at Lamentations, Lamentations really reads like poetry. But the reason why it's in the major prophets is because they attributed it to its author, who is Jeremiah. Does that make sense? Jeremiah the weeping. The weeping prophet. That's right. Now, we're just looking at the five divisions of the Old Testament. We got five and twelve, five, five, and twelve, which should add up to be 39 books of the Old Testament. And by way of that, there's 27, of course, in the New Testament, which gives us the 66 books of the Bible. But understanding, knowing these facts allows us to see something else about the Bible. And that is that the Bible is just not one type of literature, but it's made up of multiple types of literature. So in order to understand how to read the Bible for all its worth, you have to understand what kind of literature you're reading. If you read and try to interpret Psalms the way you interpret one of the major prophets like Isaiah, you are likely to interpret it wrong. It's like someone going to Job. Let's take a second. We go to the book of Job. Someone says, 
You know, I woke up this morning and I opened my Bible to Job and I looked at Job and I found a text. So when we go into this text, let's look at chapter 16. to the 16th chapter of Job and you went to the 6th verse and you grabbed the 6th verse and just read it by itself. Though I speak, my grief is not relieved. And if I remain silent, how am I eased? But now he has worn me out. You have made desolate all my company. You have shriveled me up and is a witness against me. Stop right there. Go back to verse 7 and you see the word he. He is capitalized in your Bible, isn't it? No, I said, surely, oh God, you have worn me out. Yeah. Surely, oh God. So instead of he, surely, oh God. So now even more specific than my new King James that he points out God. Now, if you take that text just like it was, does that, does that adequately describe God? It doesn't, does it? So if you wake up in the morning and you feel you led to, you open your Bible and you say, I'm led to these few verses, and you read those verses, what do you have? Not a whole lot of comfort, that's for sure. That's exactly right. You don't have a lot of comfort, nor do you have the right perception of God from this text. It's because this is a book of poetry and that Job was speaking in his pain. This is not the truth about God, but it's the truth about God the way he perceived God at that moment. So it's the truth about how he felt not about the truth about God. So if you come to a text like this text and try to use it out of context without understanding the literature or the literary work that it's in, you do what? You misinterpret it. So that is an example why it's important to know what kind of text, what kind of book you're reading from. Because you cannot read all of the books of the Bible the same and expect to be able to interpret them line upon line, precept upon precept when you just take a small bit of that text. But if we had have gone to a book like Romans and we had done the same thing, we get a different answer. Let's take a moment and look at Romans and do something similar. I know we're jumping to the New Testament, but I'm just wanting to bring out a good example. Let's go to Romans chapter 1. Looking at Romans chapter 1, verses 16 
and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Look at the difference between these two texts. When we looked in Job and we tried to use a, a, a section of scripture there, it gave us an entirely wrong view of God. But when we look at the book of Romans and we look at this, this now gives us doctrine. It gives us teaching. It gives us a right view of God. Why? Because there are different types of literature. It's a different type of time, though, too. That's exactly right. It's a different time, and it's got context, but it's also, this is the kind of book. This, Romans is a letter. A didactic letter is what it's called. It's a teaching letter that teaches of doctrine. But that's not what Job is. Job is a law, basically. Ain't Job, Job is poetry. Is okay, right, but yeah. So here we've got a letter teaching doctrine in Romans, but in Job we've got poetry, which is not necessarily teaching doctrine. Psalms is poetry too, though. Mm -hmm. Yes, it is. It's yes, it is. Psalms. Jeremiah is poetry, basically. Jeremiah is prophecy. Yeah, yeah, it's it's prophecy. It's 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 prophecy, but it's more like it's more like it's more like oh, what am I trying to say? It's more like it's letting you know how God views you and how he how he knows everything about you. Coming, All right. from, coming from Jeremiah. All right. And, Jer and when he, because he's telling you, I, I made you a prophet in your mother's womb, and I know every hair on your head. You know what I'm uh -huh. saying? In your mother's womb. So, you, in your mother's womb, you don't got a hair on your head. But well, he knows you. He know, he know everything about you, and he knows what you're going to do. That's right. And the book of Jeremiah, its main focus was Jeremiah, after being called, like you said, knows every hair on his head, called out to be a prophet. To be the one who goes and says to the people, thus saith the Lord. Yeah. And when you look at Jeremiah holistically, you will see, thus saith the Lord, thus saith the Lord, thus saith the Lord, in quotes. Yeah. Why? Because he was a prophet and he was speaking the words of the Lord to the people about their future. Yeah. And, and, and I noticed, I noticed too. In the uh, Old Testament and the New Testament uh, verses, like Daniel, all right. Daniel is a is is a is a revelation. It's another revelation. Uh -huh. Isaiah is. I mean, Isaiah is another. Is something like it's something like John almost. It, it, he's he's telling he's telling about the Lord uh, of the coming of the Lord in Isaiah and and in John. He's telling about the coming of the Lord and what's going what's going to happen too. I mean it. it, it I mean, you got Daniel is a major prophet book too, right? Yeah. I mean, they, That's exactly. They 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 go they go, they go, they, yes. they, they yes. hand in hand 
How many but different words? That's right. And and and, and you your own point, Brother Lindsay, in, in in one aspect is that Daniel and Revelation do go hand in hand. Because the prophecies of Daniel relate to the prophecies of Revelation. That's exactly right. Of Revelation. However, the one thing that you must understand about Daniel is that Daniel, in order to understand Daniel fully, you have to understand Revelation. It's almost the same way as trying to understand Leviticus without understanding Hebrews. Hebrews is the New Testament book that reveals so much of the truth of Leviticus. It's all about faith, though. That's right. And he shows us how the symbolism and the laws of Leviticus relate to that. But in order to really understand it, you have to understand Hebrews in order to understand Leviticus. Because they work together, just like Daniel and Revelation. And when you mention Isaiah, Isaiah is called the gospel of the Old Testament. The reason why is because Isaiah talks so much of, about Jesus without mentioning his name. And so, he calls him the lamb. He talks about there's a son is given. He talks about Bethlehem. He talks about all of these things without saying his name. All right. So now, Sister Reed, when we look at these different breakdowns, we have to always stay mindful of the fact that we have these divisions in the word because we have to come to each type of literature differently. And so being that, we have to understand how to interpret each type of literature. And so now, what we understand about history is that history has a big context. It has a story. So an under, to understand what a book of history is really saying, you have to read its entire story. Because see, if you start trying to grab a history book like Ruth and read just a few verses, and then try to come out with some timeless truth, you're most likely to miss it. Because it takes the story and for you to get the truth. You can't understand the kinsman redeemer of Ruth until you know the story. You can't understand such a time as this of Esther until you know the story. You can't understand in, jo in Joshua what the whole idea is about the unclean thing, unless you understand the story. It takes reading enough of those books. Most likely, you will have to read it in its entirety to get the flow and the story in order to start understanding the meaning that's behind that book. But when you go to a prophetic book, you may not necessarily need to know the whole story in order to understand what a passage of scripture is saying. It still needs context, but you may not need to know the whole story. 
You may not need to know the whole story of Jeremiah and how he was called in order to understand what Jeremiah is talking about in Jeremiah 3.15. In Jeremiah 3.15 when he says, the Lord says, I will give you pastors according to mine own heart to equip you with knowledge and understanding. You don't necessarily have to know Jeremiah's history to understand what that means, but you still need a context. But that's why the work of interpreting scripture is more than just a science. Because if you was a science, then you would take each one of these five poetry books and interpret them the same. But no, not necessarily because they have a flavor of history in them as well. And so that's where the art comes in. That's where the experience in the word comes in to be able to adequately be able to identify what you're looking at. To identify whether or not Jeremiah is the portion that you're looking at is the history portion or whether you're looking at a prophecy. It's easy to tell, but yet it gets more difficult in different books depending on what you're looking at. Job is very difficult because of what's happening during that book. There are truths to Job that are not true to God, but yet there are also truths of our God that are also true to Job. So you have to, you have to be able to have experience with the word completely with the whole Old Testament to be able to pick out some of the detail that's found in the Old Testament. So that's where the art form comes in. But let's take a look at something real quick. Let's go to the first book, Genesis. The first book, Genesis. Does anybody remember what Genesis means? Beginnings. beginnings. It is the beginnings of all things except God. Why is it the beginning of all things except God? Because he was already there. From what we understand about scripture, does God have a beginning? He doesn't. He's a infinity God. He's an eternal God. He's a God who's always existed and always will exist. And so now we come to this book of Genesis which is the book of the beginning. And it's a book of the beginning of all things except God. Written by the author, who was Moses, where God gave him the revelation to write these words. In the very first verse, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What kind of book are we looking at? History. Oh, it's a Torah. Uh-huh. A teaching of law book. That's right. But it is also, this portion of it is also what you said is history. Because Genesis can pass for history, but it's part of the law of those first five books, the Torah. It teaches. So now, when reading the Bible for all this word, a lot of times we may read over a text and go a little too fast to see 
the relevance of that text to our lives. And the Bible loses a lot of its value to our lives when we do not look at a text and see what the timeless truth is and how it applies to our life. So now looking at the first verse, just look at that and examine it. What do you see? What does that verse say? God, he, he built, he created heaven and earth. And earth. In the beginning. In the beginning of what? Life. Life? What else? In the beginning of time. Time. Life, time. I like to say the space-time continuum. The beginning of the world. Not just as we talk about it from the world perspective of those who are outside of Christ, but the whole creation. In the beginning, God. God was there in the beginning. He created the heavens and the earth. So what's the timeless truth here? The timeless truth here is that God is the creator of everything. everything. He was there before there was there to be yet. That's it. He was there before there was anything to be there. So God did what? He created something out of nothing. God is able to create something out of nothing. That's a timeless truth. Because God hasn't changed, has he? He's still the same. To yesterday, today, and forever. That's right, Sid. He's still the same. So that's a timeless truth. Now, now that we see the timeless truth of verse 1, or at least one of the timeless truths, how do you apply that? Now that you know that he can create something out of nothing, how do you apply that to your life? How does that become relevant and become edifying in your life? I mean, because when you're down to your last and you ain't got nothing, <laughs> And then all of a sudden you got everything that you need and you ain't got no idea how you got it, how it got there, how those bills got paid, how that gas in your car when you was on E and E lessened you till Friday. Something out <laughs> of nothing. That's application. That's application because now you have a historical perspective. You have a historical perspective. I have a historical perspective of God creating something out of nothing. If you live in this life any time, God shows you these situations where there's no way to explain this because something came out of nothing. How do you explain? Yes, right. You didn't have it. You didn't have any money. There wasn't any money in your bank account. But suddenly, out of nowhere, money has came. Sometimes you can trace it. But sometimes you can't. I mean, I've seen times where I said, now, wait a minute. Where did that come from? I know that I've been going month after month after month very much on the edge. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, I've got an overflow. Mm 
Now I'm looking back, I'm still paying the same bills. My salary's still the same. Where is that coming from? I did the, the math before I got paid. It wasn't going to add up right It wasn't going to add up. After I got paid, I still got something left. What's going on here? That's a good thing, though. That is a good thing. That's a great thing. That's a great thing. But look how easy you can read the first verse of Genesis. If you go too fast, the timeless truth is lost. You missed it. But that's some big time encouragement right there in knowing that the same God that in the beginning created everything, he created something out of nothing, is still the same God that we serve that's still creating something out of nothing. So when we think we're at the end, when we think we're on E and it's over, we're still at the beginning. He's still That's creating good. something out of nothing. And so when it looks like we're not going to be able to make it, it looks like we're done. We know that the God that we serve, who created the heavens and the earth, does something out of nothing. Surely he can create what we need. Ain't that good news? That's real good news. Timeless truth. God can do what? Create something out of nothing. And for us, it gives us encouragement in whatever situation we're in, no matter how it looks, no matter how the math works, God can still create something out of nothing. Mm. Now look at that. On the very first verse. Now looking at this first verse, there's something else as well. And that is another timeless truth. And that is, that which is invisible has dominion over that which is visible. That which is invisible, being God, has complete dominion over that which is visible. So now looking at that, we see that whatever we see in this world God has complete dominion over it. And so, when we go to God in prayer, we go from the visible to the invisible. Because we attach with the invisible God in prayer. So now, we have made access to that which is invisible, which has dominion over that which is visible. And because we are inextricably tied to him, we know that we have a source to go through whenever we're going through something that we don't think we can make it, that the source is one who has dominion over everything that happens in this world. So no matter what man does or what any other being does, they first have to answer to God. God is not sitting back and wringing his hands, wondering whether or not, yeah, I don't know. Oh my God, Monique, I went to sleep on you, and, and, and all this chaos is coming to your life. I'm sorry, no, not this God. Because this God we serve neither sleeps nor slumbers. 
So the God, the entire God that is the same yesterday, today, and forever is complete control of all of the events that happen in this earth. So even when it looks to us as if, as if everything is out of control, we know in the timeless truths of he who is invisible has dominion over everything that's visible, we know that it, in reality, it's not out of control. By faith, we are able to see beyond the chaos of our situation and realize that whatever's going on is only passing through God's hand. If he decides to shut it, it won't happen. If he decides to open up and allow it, it's for your good. Because the Bible says what? All things. And what's on the other side of all? Nothing. Nothing. There's nothing on the other side of all. So since he has complete dominion, invisible of all things visible, there's no situation where the how chaotic it looks or how discouraging or how endless it looks did not happen without it first going through the hand of God. So the God that we now connect with through prayer, which takes us from the visible to the invisible, we get our prayers to one who has dominion over all things. He hasn't changed, and whatever it is, because we are his children, no matter how crazy it may seem, no matter how disappointing, no matter how our logic may say, this can't be a good deal. You have to, by faith, believe that all things are working together for your good. That is like the most comforting thing in the world to know that no matter what goes on, no matter what it looks like right now, it don't even matter because victory is already won. That it's is done. already, it's done. No matter what's happening. And that's hard when you're in the midst of a situation. When, when, when your fiance, whom you, you bought a house and you're getting ready to marry, you find out after you've gotten into the deal that she's sleeping with another man. And she has no idea and she has no, no plan on coming to where you are or marrying you any longer. And you're looking at that situation and you're saying, this is horrible. This, this is in, this is, there can't be any good in this. But by faith, we know that all things. Because see, There you go, because that's where we fall short. We think we know. We can only see this far. That's right. We can only see this far. And what we do when we see a situation like that and we just like, oh my God, my world, my life is falling apart. It's because we can only see this far. Yeah, it all looks falling apart here. But the eternal God that always existed, the timeless truth is before the beginning, God was. Before it ever was some time, he was. So guess what? Between as far as you can see and where you are is just time. But the God that we serve, he's outside of that time. So he sees everything all at once. And so when the Bible says in Peter, he says, a day is to a thousand years is a thousand years is to a day with the Lord. What he's saying is that God is outside of time, outside of space, and he sees it all. At one time. He's not confined to that. 
So he already knows where you're going. He already knows what you need. He already has already set your path because Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 said he has predestined us to good works that what? We should walk in them. So in the midst of our struggle to figure out why our life seems to be falling apart, I know I was doing the right thing. I'm marrying this girl. I'm supposed to do this and, and we're supposed to live in this house. Not necessarily because you can only see so far in time. But that's when we have to live by faith and not by sight. What did we just read in those verses over there in Romans chapter 1 verses 16 through 18? The just shall live by faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. So we can't, we can't figure it out. But we got to let God work it out. And so while we toil over that time period where we're wondering why our world is all apart, we're worrying, we're staying up late at night, have we affected anything What's going to happen? We haven't did a thing, have we? All we've done is wore ourselves out. That's all we've done because we try to live by sight and not by faith. And that's not living. Because when you just, you live by that which you cannot see. You live by faith. That's how I always end up back at that verse. The peace of God shall surpass all understanding. Because when I don't get it, I'm like, okay, whatever, Jesus. If you say this is it, then this is just it. <laughs> that's, that's exactly right. I, I can't it. figure it out. Yeah, I ain't got to get it. I can't, I can't work it out on paper. I use calculus and everything else, and it ain't working. Lord, have your way. Lord, I'm giving this to you because I know that by worrying, do I add one cubit to my stature? Do I make myself any stronger? No, but the X inverse is the truth that all I do is wear myself out. But I'm trusting you, Master, that all things work together for the good. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. Because that's what happens when we rely on him and walk by faith. The peace of God comes into our hearts and gives us peace in the midst of a storm. When everybody out around you saying, what in the world? How can you be sitting up here like this? All this is going down and you're acting like everything is all right. And you're saying, no, what you see is not all right, but my God's all right. What you see, you can't see beyond it, but I know that all things work together for my good. And that's where I find my peace because it surpasses all human understanding. We're out of time. Amen. God bless y'all tonight. <laughs>